0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, July 18th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So it's been super hot here. I don't know if you're getting the same kind of weather, but in Paris, it has been, yeah, really hot. Not too humid, so it's it's tolerable, but uh, yeah, definitely full-on summer now here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we're having some a great spell of weather, no doubt. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what's going on in MBA land? I mean, I feel like we finally passed the threshold and are 100% pretty much into this next cycle with people applying and essay topics coming out. I haven't seen a ton of you know, activity on waitlist movement, which might mean we're really hitting the end of that. Um, but I don't know what, what you've seen.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's possible. And, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, but we are recording the podcast a couple of days sooner than we usually do. Yeah. So whether there's a little bit of activity towards the end of this um, week um, before the, the podcast is, is, is published, it's still possible, Graham. So I'm, yeah. you know... If, if folks are on a wait list, there's a reason why they're still on a wait list. Yeah. Um, schools will close out the wait lists once they know their incoming class, and they don't really know that until folks arrive on campus. Yeah. So, Yeah. There'll always be a little bit until folks actually arrive for the preterm or whatever it is um, for their first sort of MBA experience.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that some of our listeners may not know is that, you know, the preterms often start in August or even late July where you're kind of getting settled into your new uh, environs and, and getting, you know, if you're, particularly if you're an international student, they often have you arrive even earlier and there's all kinds of, you know, August kind of orientation things and classes you take and everything to get ramped up. So yeah, there could be some movement when those dates hit if, people don't show uh, for their spot. Other than that, Alex, I've been waiting all week to ask you, you know, we have these fun questions that we've been asking each other to try to allow our listeners to get to know us a little bit better. And so these kind of real humans, questions that we usually reserve for admissions directors. And so are you ready for your questions this week? Because I have four that I prepared and I know I sent them your way. (laughs) I'm ready. All right. Okay. So what is your biggest regret.
1: Yeah. Biggest regret. You can always say, well, I don't really regret anything because any missteps I learned from, and there's certainly plenty of things that fall into that category, but, but there was an opportunity I had when I worked at the Wharton school to go on a a, a leadership course, you know, when they do those out of bound leadership courses, Graham. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the one they used to send students down to the Antarctica, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: and I bailed on doing that. And I always thought, well, that was actually silly. What a terrific <laughs> experience that would have been.
0: Yeah, wow. That, yeah, that's not a continent that everyone gets to put their feet no. on, you know? So, <laughs> um, all right, so that's your biggest regret. What about, um, is there one thing you would change about how you were raised? And I hope, you know, no parents are listening or anything, <laughs> yeah. your mom might be.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was privately schooled, educated, and I would change that. Um, and I know several, you know, lots of folks have really good experience um, at boarding schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really like it, quite honestly. So I don't think it was the greatest environment for me. And as a piece of that was, you know, I you got a bunch of mates where you live and then you are shipped off to a boarding school somewhere else. So there's a little bit of a disconnect when you're a kid, mm-hmm. sort of who you're growing up with. So, yeah. It would be my my very expensive boarding school education,
0: probably. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This is a little bit more light here, but what is a superpower that you wish you had? And I just want to preface this by saying that so many of the admissions officers that I talk to often say, oh, I wish I could fly or go from one place to another instantly. So maybe, I'm hoping you thought about this and maybe have something else.
1: (laughs) I quite like to be a mind reader.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a dangerous job. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It would be quite useful, though.
0: Yes, it would be. Yeah. Would other people know that you have this power? You just kind of keep it to yourself and then just... You I know.
1: think you can keep it to yourself, but it's very, very, very useful. Yeah. All
0: right. Okay. And then this last one, what schools, if any, rejected you? So I don't know when you applied to university or or even when you were thinking about getting an MBA, but w- were there schools that you looked at that said no, or how did that go for you?
1: No, there weren't. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, when I did my undergrad, I, I wasn't overly ambitious because again, my sort of um, academic record through private education wasn't stellar because I don't think I had a great um, necessarily experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, undergrad was fine, um, and for the MBA again, I only applied to one school. Got it. And and uh, I I got I got admitted, and it was really good. But in at that piece, you could say, well, you know what? Maybe I didn't aim high enough. And this is a little lesson that we teach when when people are. Um, looking at their MBA application strategy, right? Um, A good strategy will include a couple of rejects because then you know you aimed high enough. I mean, for me personally, my MBA experience was terrific and it got me um, to where I am today. So so it worked out really well. But you could argue, well, actually, if I'd have um, targeted a little bit higher, maybe some other um, opportunities uh, may have come my way. Who knows?
0: Got it. Okay. So, well, thanks for answering those. I guess I have to answer these same ones next week. So I got to start thinking about this. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, over on the website in the, in the past week, we had a chance to sit down or Lauren on our team sat down with uh, Donna Levinson, who's the Assistant Dean of Admissions over at MIT Sloan. So there's a really nice interview up on the site uh, based on that. And I did want to, you know, we always ask the top business schools to tell us something that, like, we don't know about what goes on on their campus or a strength. And I thought this was interesting, so I'm just going to read a little quote from Donna. She said that, um, she says... We've been doing a lot of work around impact investing throughout the pandemic and plan to give it more visibility in the next coming year or so. When people think about going to business school for finance, I'm pretty sure MIT isn't at the top of their list. But when they come here, they're always amazed at the work our faculty are doing related to eco-finance. Investing for good has really taken on a life of its own. And this is an area that many of our applicants are passionate about. So I'd love for people to want to learn more about this at MIT Sloan. So kind of an interesting uh, niche that they've kind of carved out there. I had heard about this, actually, in terms of their strengths in that domain. So kind of cool stuff. I don't know if you thought of MIT for, you know, kind of uh, impact investing or not, but it's interesting.
1: No, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I I do think of MIT as being a good um, uh, place to learn sort of fundamental finance because it's obviously a very strong sort of quant focus at MIT, or at least that would be your perception, right, Um, at at Sloan. But yeah, no, impact investing, which has got to become more and more important um, in in this sort of world in which we currently live. Um, No, that's brilliant.
0: Yeah. And then the only other thing that I wanted to call everyone's attention to is that Tuck received a, a big milestone with their fundraising. They got an anonymous $52 million pledge. So first question, Alex, that wasn't you, was it? No, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so someone gave them $52 million. It's actually the largest in the school's history. And I guess it's designated dollars. They're going to use it to create uh, a Dartmouth summit on health, wealth, and sustainability. And I guess whoever gave the money really believes there was a quote somewhere I meant to kind of share it with everyone here, but basically, um, Someone was, you know, very passionate about students being able to resolve global challenges as seen through this intersecting, you know, roles of like public policy, healthcare, climate change, politics, finance. So, yeah, we'll see. That's a big uh, chunk of change uh, heading Tuck's way. So very good news for that school. Pretty cool.
1: No, brilliant. Sounds a little bit like impact investing.
0: Yeah, I can yeah. see where where things are going here. Yeah, yeah, and I <laughs> yeah. assume
1: the anonymous gift is anonymous to us, but not anonymous to talk.
0: Yeah, they must know. Yeah, but it's but um, yeah. the, the person doesn't want their name out there, which is fine. Um, uh, other than that, we are in the midst of our essay workshops, and this Wednesday at noon Eastern, I get to sit down and moderate a small panel with admissions folks from Duke, uh, UT Austin. Carnegie Mellon, Tepper, London Business School, and INSEAD. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, it's the second in a series of four essay workshops that we've been doing for a couple summers now, and they're really popular. I love to see the the number of people signing up for these things, and I think part of that is comes from the fact that we don't we don't really let the schools just kind of say what they want to say. Like we we ask them very specific questions about the essays, and and you know it's in the schools um, to the schools' credit. I feel like it's, they all have been really great. About sharing, I think, really helpful tips. So it's, uh, I, I love the format that we have for these events. Encourage everyone to sign up and, and you can do so at bit.ly forward slash CAMBA essays, all one word. So those are fun. And, and Alex, you know, the week after we've got, uh, what is it, Columbia, MIT, NYU, Stanford, and Wharton joining me for one of those. So just more to come, lots of fun. And yeah, I I, I love these. <laughs>
1: Yeah, fantastic events. Well done.
0: Uh, the only other news is that very soon we're going to be unveiling, as we kind of um, we hinted last week, we're going to be unveiling Clear Admit Plus, which is a new service for our, uh, you know, for, for our community members. Uh, It is a paid service, but it costs almost nothing, and it allows you to get access to the Admissions Academy, which is a video series that Alex and I have produced together, as well as our LiveWire data dashboard. Um, The annual subscription comes with some access to our publication, so it's a really good deal stay tuned. It's it's imminent. In fact, um, probably shortly after this podcast comes out, this will all be available on the site. So yeah, stay tuned. Alex, anything else from you? We haven't, you know, haven't gotten any mail of late, which kind of bums me out and I haven't seen any new reviews of the show. So if people are listening and willing, please leave us a review. But Alex, anything on your mind before we dive in? Is
1: anyone listening? I think that, so. That might be the issue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I look at the numbers occasionally. I haven't looked in a little while, but no people tune in apparently. It actually, I joined a WhatsApp group that someone posted on our website uh, over the past week or so. It was just someone said, hey, you know, uh, fall applicants hang out here. And so I, I went in and, and I answered a few questions that people were posing. And, and in that group, there are a lot of people saying like, wow, love the podcast. And thanks for, you know, thanks for everything on the website. So I think people are tuning in, Alex. I <laughs> <Excellent>. I hope. <laughs> um, you can always reach out to Alex and I by writing to info at clearadmit.com please write. We love to get your letters and we read them out over the air if they're uh, appropriate and if you want us to. Uh, But it's just nice to hear from, from folks tuning in. Alex, other than that, I know you spent some time picking out our candidates for this week. So shall we dive into the wiretaps portion?
1: Let's kick on.
0: All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So this uh, entry is an apply wire entry received. The candidate is targeting business school for the fall of 23. They have five schools on the target list. Uh, The schools are Columbia, Harvard, Kellogg, NYU, and Chicago Booth. This person's been working in nonprofit management, um, but also as a professional dancer. Uh, They're thinking about getting into consulting, maybe with Bain BCG or uh, McKinsey after business school. The GPA is a 3.97. And they have yet to take the gmat they've taken a couple of practice tests and seem to be scoring i guess the most recent practice test was at a 710 or so Uh, they've got six years of experience located in colorado would love to land in new york and this is a 28 year old white male who literally was a professional ballet dancer and now works more in kind of an operations role with a I guess with a dance company or something if I remember correctly from the post so Alex I mean this is an unorthodox candidacy they've got a lot of um, outside activities just a, a really interesting profile but also highly non-traditional you know their undergraduate was not in a quantitative subject I think they placed out of any math that they had to take, they were mentioning. So that's kind of a, a, a weaker quantitative profile, very unorthodox work experience, but they're interested in kind of, you know, taking that management experience in nonprofit heading into consulting and then, um, going on from there. But what, what's your take on this? Cause this is an interesting one.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is super interesting, right? Um, so they're a professional or they're a retired professional ballet dancer. Um, so one would speculate that we don't see too many retired professional ballet dancers in the NBA, um, M- um, in no. the NBA world. <laughs> no. Um, so, so past, present or, or, or in the future. So from that perspective, they, they are gonna be this sort of, um, you know from a diversity standpoint, um, they're gonna add, add, add quite a lot um, in terms of that experience. But I'm gonna ask you, Graham, um, why can this be very favorable to an MBA profile, why would AdCon get excited that they're a retired professional ballet dancer.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I it's, so the, there are a number of things, but number one is this is like prime catalog material. Like when you're thinking about the the view book of a of a school, you know, they always love to showcase the diversity and the variety of individuals they have in their program. And so, on and on some level, you know, it's really interesting to have someone from the arts who's had experience in management in the arts. I mean, it's not like this person has only been a dancer; like they've been doing operational stuff with presumably, I think it was a theater company or dance company, or they've had a lot of exposure to that. Um, They've been working, yeah, they're an operations manager with like a number of years of experience with an internationally known dance festival. Uh, They've even done some sports-related events management. So they've had experience that's relevant to me. It's just unusual. And so I, I just feel like this stands out. I mean, it's just having a different voice in the classroom.
1: Yeah, no, Absolutely. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. On the one hand, you know that that sort of professional ballet dancer profile is 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 so unusual that it will help, you know, show that you know the MBA is is accessible to very diverse sort of sets of experiences. So that's very good. But they can then marry that with that operations experience. Um, so so. Um, the fact that they've had that sort of two or three or four years or whatever it is of, of operations experience and growth and learning and impact in that regard too is outstanding, and I also think if you're a professional athlete or a professional dancer or a professional artist or whatever it might be, um, you know the the passion and the commitment and the and the you know the wherewithal to be very good at what you do I think also says a lot about your character. Um, and so forth. So yeah. all these things sort of conspire together to to really help this person, I think, uh, really elevate their profile. Love the fact that their GPA is nearly 4.0, um, probably not highly quantitative. But again, the fact is that they've done well. Um, they've committed to the four-year undergraduate experience and, and done really well um, add it. And as you say, their, their extracurriculars and stuff um, um, are there. Um, they, their goals, I really like their goals because they marry their passion and their interests for the arts with sort of business fundamentals in the long run, in a leadership role, it, uh, you know, in an arts related organization. Um, in the short run, go do some consulting work. It just makes so much sense. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, this is a potential um, superstar type candidate. We're waiting for the GMAT. And will the GMAT be the make or break of the candidacy? I mean, at the very top programs, they're going to need to see that quant rigor somewhere in this candidate's profile, whether it's the quant side of the GMAT going to come in high and therefore mitigate any concern on the quant side, or um, you know, if they get an overall decent GMAT, the quant's a little bit light. They do MBA math or HBS core. Uh, that that's another route too. And and again, doing MBA math and HBS core is, is valuable in two regards. One is it's going to assure the AdCom that they're prepared, but it's also going to help the candidate be prepared. You know, in terms of transitioning to you know that first quarter, which yeah. might be quite. Um, rigorous. So yeah, Graham, lots to like here.
0: Yeah. And I did want to say, you know, they mentioned uh, just in terms of the clarity around those goals, like they, yeah, they want to do consulting, but then ultimately head back into, um, you know, the kind of arts and ideally end up as an executive director at a large performing arts organization. And I think most admissions readers when they see that they, they like that idea of like wow a grad from our school is going to go off and be in a very senior role but for an arts organization which is a little different right so i just I, it all makes sense to me i, I love the storyline and i agree that you know if they get i mean they don't need to hit necessarily the the average uh gmat score given how non-traditional their candidacy is but it would be nice to see them get get close it'll certainly make their sort of path to acceptance a lot easier if they end up with a 730 or something on this test with a decent quant score as you say so we'll see i want to wish them the best of luck and i i think um yeah, just a really interesting profile, and yeah, they, they they should be fine. I mean, I looking at the breakdowns on their testing on those practice tests, I feel like they're off to a pretty good start, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up north of seven hundred with decent, you know, quant percentages and stuff. So that should be good.
1: If they come back with a six hundred and fifty, what's the story?
0: Uh, well, I think they have to retake. Uh, if they come back with six hundred and fifty, they absolutely have to retake. They could also look at GRE if they're worried about, you know, something. If it's really a, a kind of quant weakness or something, uh, I would definitely take. MBA math or HBS core, if they start to, you know, fall down on this test, but hopefully that doesn't happen. We'll we'll see, I guess.
1: (laughs) But this is the type of candidate that possibly could still have access to the very best programs, even with a a test score that's somewhat below average. Yeah. I would speculate, but they've got to show that they will be academically ready, um, for a, a rigorous sort of first quarter from a quant standpoint. So that yeah. then gets to the question of, all right, 650, 680, that's kind of where I've hit. So this MBA math HBS core route becomes much more important and viable
0: yeah and then um, the, the only thing I wanted to mention is you know you think about their school list right they got Harvard and Columbia and NYU which are all northeast quarter. they want to land in New York that's where a lot of performing arts stuff happens they don't seem to have a desire to be on the west coast um, so they it seems like a lot of dance and ballet and, and other performing arts there is a big um, you know centering around New York uh, obviously There's also on the West Coast, but it seems like they're focused on the East Coast. Then they also have Kellogg and Chicago on their list. And I actually wondered, and I wrote to them, I said, well, what about schools like Yale or Wharton? Because those are in the Northeast Corridor, good access to New York City. And in the case of Yale, there's a long history of kind of nonprofit management expertise. And I even know, I have a friend who's a Yale grad who actually is very senior at a major performing arts organization. So I just wondered, and I wanted them to at least look at some of these programs because I wasn't quite figuring out. You know, again, we always talk about geographic proximity and, and the, the, the benefits of that. So that was just something to think about. Obviously, they might have another storyline, which could be, oh, no, there's a bunch of performing arts organizations in Chicago that I really want to be a part of. And I, I just failed to mention that in my notes. And so I'd be happy to land in Chicago. If that's the case, then by all means, keep those schools on the list, too. Right. But yeah. just something to think about
1: yeah yeah they do actually mention um wharton in in their comments so okay um so yeah but yeah i again we are very high on this profile no doubt
0: yeah definitely all right so i want to thank them for posting let's move on though and talk about wiretaps candidate number two So our second candidate this week is another ApplyWire entry. Uh, It's a white male engineer, 26 years old, uh, looking to start in the fall of 23. And the target schools are Tuck, Duke, Michigan, UNC, and UVA Darden. Uh, They have been working uh, as an engineer, um, kind of in the engineering field. They'd love to get into consulting after business school. They've got Bain, BCG, McKinsey on the list and some others as well. GMAT score is a 710, and that score was achieved uh, achieved after three tries, so they're kind of done with the GMAT in their mind. Uh, They have a 3.77 undergraduate GPA, they have five years of work experience, they're located in the southeast of the U.S., and post-MBA they're kind of indifferent, they say they want to land just in the U.S., but no specific region. Uh, They mentioned that they grew up in a rural area, went to kind of a state school, uh, way out, this is in the Intermountain West, so they kind of hint Mo- in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. Um, studied electrical engineering and mathematics, they have that 3.7 GPA. And you know, they also have, I guess, a, a master's degree in electrical engineering from a big name university, uh, public university, and they had a 3 7 in that <laughs> degree as well. And then they've been doing five years, uh, last five years, as an engineer with a big defense company. And they again give us some hints boeing lockheed martin raytheon those kind of places so um, i guess they you know they go on there's a lot of details in their profile but i'm going to just sort of stop there, ox because they you know they have a lot of um interesting activities and you know clearly a lot of qualifications here and and yet somewhat stereotypical being kind of a you know white male engineer wanting to get into consulting uh, but, what do you make of this candidacy? Because I know you kind of pointed out that the Gmac could be a concern at seven ten Are you a little surprised by that score yeah i
1: 'm surprised by the score i don 't know if it 's going to be a concern or not. It might be the limiting factor in the reason why um, they 're targeting sort of top sixteen versus m um, seven Top sixteen is still outstanding, but you know at the end of the day, I would encourage them to also add um, a couple of m seven programs into the mix. Um, to, you know, because again, their their work profile looks interesting. I mean, working for Boeing engineering, they say it's interesting work, but not glamorous. I'm not quite sure (laughs) what that actually means. But Mm. if it's interesting work, and they can show impact um, and and, and growth, that's the key in terms of what what the outcome is going to be looking at. Um, We like candidates that build stuff. Um, So, you know if you're working for Boeing, you're probably building or designing something. Um, so so if they can show impact there, I think that will be very good. Um, so I like that, you know, their, their, their academic GPA is very strong. Um, and, you know, I think, well, you know, it's electrical engineering, they did double major, um, including mathematics. I mean, this guy's, oh, guy, I, yeah, I a guy. assume we male. know that. Yeah yeah, 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 sorry, white male engineer. They're obviously very smart. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying that the the GMAT's not good, it's 710, it's still very good. It's within range of all top programs. I was just a little, I just thought it was an underperformance relative to their academic profile and the fact that they're an engineer and so on and so forth. But they, mm. like you say, they've taken it three times. So let's give up on, on, on the GMAT. They, they're planning to take the GRE actually, which mm. um, yeah, if They do that, they get it in the 330s, then they've solved that problem, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, but but um, but yeah, if they do it and get in the three mid 320s, I mean, I don't think it'll make a whole lot of difference 710 or 3, 320 25 or whatever, yeah. Um, but I like their ECs, maybe their long term goal could be a, ha, have a little bit more clarity. Um, short term goal and consulting just makes good sense again. I think. Target the first rounds. Add one or two M sevens into the mix, and the th- this candidate should, you know, with good execution on the applications, obviously, should have some some pretty good options growing.
0: Yeah, I think one of the two things I want to call attention to. So. I, I agree. Like everything lines up. The GMAT score is a bit low, but they might be able to squeak through. I, I also wondered if um, the reason they have this list of target schools, that's more like you said, more top 16, as opposed to, you know, M seven. I just wondered if some of it was based around their desire for a really small kind of close knit community. They seem to have this kind of Southeast focus in their school selection. If you think about UNC, Darden, Duke, um, obviously they also have talk and, and Ross on the list, but I just was wondering all those programs. The thing I think of when I think of them is, You know, close-knit, relatively small communities, and also, you know, not in big urban centers. Uh, You know, I guess you know, Ann Arbor is a pretty big town, but it's not. You know, we're not talking about New York or Philly or or Chicago or something. So, I wondered if there were some personal things driving that school selection, or if it was purely based on where they thought they might um, get some traction.
1: The the only thing I I would add to that is. And top 16 programs are smaller than M7 programs. By nature,
0: yeah, fair enough, yeah. And then they,
1: they, you know, the the average class size, with one or two exceptions, obviously Stanford's an exception um, to
0: that. Yeah. So the other thing, though, that struck me is that they talk about this interest in government. And in transportation, telecommunications, and, you know, just sort of nonprofit, um, the intersection of kind of maybe public and private. And they mentioned that, you know, for the last um, couple of years, they've been working uh, as a volunteer on a local political campaign for like state attorney. And they're going to do that again this year. And, and so they have this kind of government angle that drives them. And I can see that, you know, if they're working at a Boeing or a Lockheed Martin or Raytheon, they're probably aware of those organizations' relationships with, you know, government. And so I just wanted to stress that to the extent that they're candidacy and their kind of long-term goals can weave all this together, which is what they suggest they might do. I think that'll be a real strength and it might help them stand out. So I think that's a potentially a real win for them. So again, really interesting profile. And I'm, I'm glad it was nice to see that they shared a lot of detail and I know you had some dialogue with them afterwards. So, um, very cool stuff.
1: I just hope we see that clarity in that long-term goal and that sort of anchors the entire narrative because I think it can be very promising yeah
0: yeah agreed all right well I want to thank them for sharing their profile I wish them the best of luck and now let's get into wiretaps candidate number three so, this week's third candidate is a little bit of a curveball in that this candidate is, it's an applyware entry that you picked, Alex, but she does not intend to matriculate until the fall of 25. Um, this is a, a, an Asian American first gen uh, female. She comes from a low income background. And she'll be 28 or maybe 29 by the time she matriculates. Uh, she is looking currently at like 14 schools. It's really a who's who of the top programs with, you know, Berkeley, Cambridge, Columbia, Tuck, Harvard, LBS, MIT, Kellogg, Stern, Stanford, Booth, uh, Penn, and, and Yale. Graham, to cut, to cut it short,
1: <laughs> she has un- undecided selected. Yeah, so she let's doesn't just even know. Yeah,
0: It's a big list. Yeah. Which is... Yeah.
1: Fine for someone that's targeting in two or three years time, yeah, right? Totally, or, or whatever. So that that makes a lot a lot yeah. of sense.
0: So currently working as a strategy consulting at a tier two firm, um, which she reveals is Oliver Wyman, uh, good good consulting firm. Huh? But the, yeah, it's not MBB or something, but it's a really good consulting firm. And then prior to that, she actually worked as a management consultant for um, a big four. Uh, accounting shop. So she's got, uh, you know, I guess about a year now in her current role. And then, you know, a a few years at the other, but she has a total of four years of experience and she will need to work. He wants to work a little bit more before she applies. And the reason for that is because her employer has actually offered to pay for her MBA. uh, If she, I think she needs to stay on another year or two, um, to be eligible for that. And then, she needs to return to the employer for three years afterwards um, as a part of the, in order for them to pay for the MBA. So, that's her kind of situation. She mentions that she went to a top 50 undergraduate university, she has a 3.47, uh, she double majored in finance and economics, and she's thinking about taking some additional pre-MBA courses, uh, she has a ton of activities and things, um, you know, just th- there's a, there was a lot to kind of go through here, but even, you know, in college, I mean, this is someone who has just traditionally been very active, whether it's been at the Big Four shop she worked at, at Oliver Wyman now, or, you know, at university. So um, I don't know if you want to get into any of the specifics there, but she was asking us about testing because she hasn't yet taken the GMAT or the GRE, and she's kind of wondering which test to take. Um, would any one test make her profile stronger? And also, like, what sort of scores she should be aiming for in light of that list of target schools, which arguably are really top schools, right? So, yeah, what did you make of her candidacy, Alex, and, and about these questions about the test?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from a from a, a work experience profile and an extracurricular profile, we're looking at a very strong um, potential candidate. Again, as long as she can show um, the impact and growth um, through through um, the experiences and, and so on and so forth. But I'm I'm thinking that the the work that part of the profile is going to be um, very strong. It, it also needs to be backed up by strong recommendations and so forth. Um, now, um, a, a couple of questions that she's posed. Um, you know, what schools should she be targeting, and should she take the the GMAT versus the GRE? She she does disclose that she thinks she's going to be a bit stronger on the verbal side than on the quant side. So if that's the case, maybe the GRE would be um, uh, more appropriate. What we do know is schools, um, you know, a, 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 a neutral in terms of you know which test you're taking. Um, between those two, I would say yes, not, not necessarily so much with the EA, but between those two. So if if she thinks that the GRE is going to represent her better um, because of her v- verbal sort of um. um whatever I think that that's very good um, so, so go the route the GRE she's got plenty of time so she but she should start planning and getting ready for the test now so that she can take it uh, with a with plenty of time ahead of her if she needs to retake um, so, so that that's important We know that the you know set, I I don't know if it's a majority but a good portion of candidates take the test on multiple occasions, we've talked about a candidate, um, uh, our previous candidate has taken the GMAT three times and, and so on and so forth that we covered today. Um, so, so you know, she also asked what, what sort of target programme should she be targeting? Um, and, and again, the, the whole idea, you know, she's first gen, it's a bit of a bootstrapper, done very well at work. If she comes in with a very good sort of test score then you know that that opens up the 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 options. I think for M seven slash top sixteen and a mix of both um, would be appropriate. I mean that's the same for everybody, right? Sort of a mix. Yeah. All, all top candidates should should spread the risk a little bit. Um, but but yeah, again, assuming very strong um, uh, work profile and so forth. Um, so so. It, yeah she she hits that mid 320s on the gre i would say that that would be um appropriate but the test score will have some impact so if the if the test score comes in after a second attempt and it's around the 320 and the 347 gpa um is is decent but it's a little bit below average for the top programs so that's why there's going to be a little bit more emphasis on on performance on the test score um to and, and, and so forth. The whole idea of MBA math and HBS core. I was going to bounce this back to you, Graham. Um, she's a, you know, I forget what you said. Finance and economics major. Yeah. Um, so, what is the added value of MBA math, HBS core in in her case? Um, versus maybe someone that's coming from an engineering degree or or a liberal arts degree like art history. Right. So 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 that that sort of makes me wonder a little bit about the added value of those types of um, opportunities.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily go down that path, especially if she has decent marks in all those finance and econ courses that she took as an undergrad, and especially if the GRE or GMAT comes in at a reasonable. Mark. So, I mean, I, you know, the thing I also think about is, as you say, like, she's got to refine those goals and figure out like what's after the, you know, she, I I know she's got to return to the consulting firm. She's got to return to Oliver Wyman and do her three years to get them to pay for her degree. But then what's beyond that? Right. And I think that will help drive you know, this school selection, because she's, you know, as we pointed out, she has, you know, whatever it was, 14 schools on the list. And so it's got to come down to, you know, five or six or whatever it'll ultimately be. And one of the best ways to do that will be in her figuring out her goals and then figuring out which schools are best suited for that. And by goals, we mean, you know, where does she want to be in what role? um, you know, what geography. So there's a lot of of pieces that go into that. So she needs to think that through. She has time, obviously. Yeah. And I think it's great that she's already thinking of this stuff. Uh, I did want to mention, Alex, she actually left us a little note in her post where she said, love the Clear Admit podcasts and uh, Alex and Graham. I've been listening to them now that I'm starting my MBA process and they're incredibly motivating and exciting. (laughs) This might be Alex, by the way, the first time anyone's ever called our podcast exciting. Um, And she says, great work. Thank you for helping out. And I'm looking forward to hearing back. So I just want to thank her for those kind words. It makes, uh, it warms the heart. It's really nice to hear, uh, especially since we haven't been getting any mail or reviews on the, you know, on Apple podcasts or anything. So good to see that.
1: (laughs) But but before we wrap this up you do make a really important point and i think i mean the the advantage she has is she's planning two or three years ahead yeah but this long-term goal really wants to be fleshed out she says entrepreneurship that's fine but is there a business is there a niche is there an industry um, where they can see themselves making an impact um, with their entrepreneurship and how's that related to their prior experiences and so on and so forth. Yeah, And if she can really hone in on a long-term goal that she's passionate and believes in, I'm not saying you make it up, right. but something that's really something that she, she can truly get behind, that then enhances, again, the entire narrative um, and, and so forth. So yeah. she's got plenty of time. So With that plenty of time, she's got to focus on these long-term goals. She's going to narrow her school selection based off of her goals. Um, She's got um, a couple of attempts to to get the best test score that she, she can get. Um, and, and yeah, over the next, you know, a uh, couple of years, I think she's going to be able to, to fine tune things so, so that she really puts herself in a great spot in terms of targeting programs for us to say exactly now, which programs they should be. I don't think it's, is going to be great guidance, Graham.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, it's just one of those things where given I, I'm fine with someone saying they want to be an entrepreneur, but I do also want to see like, like you say, some specificity around the idea, particularly if the person hasn't zero kind of entrepreneurial track record, you know, it's not like, um, this is, you know, she's going to have kind of a consulting background. And so, yeah, I'd want her to say something along the lines of, wow, in my work with the big four and now with Oliver Wyman, I've identified A, B and C that interests me. And I think there's a market opportunity to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, or whatever. Right. So yeah, coming up with that over the next year or two would be really smart for her and would help her narrow down the school list and, and create compelling essays and things because she'll have the a nice set of goals. So, um, but Alex, I did want to thank you. Uh, well, thank her for submitting and thank you for picking out her profile for us to discuss. I think it's this week was really interesting because we got to hear from a non-traditional candidate, um, someone who's maybe also a little bit overrepresented with a lower test score for the schools that they're targeting, and then obviously this candidate who's a real early bird and, and demonstrates the value of of having a kind of you know, two year runway here to get everything in order. So very good stuff. Thanks for picking these out.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to qualify that second um, profile. I'm not sure that the test score is is lower for the schools they're targeting. I think my point is more they could be targeting a little bit higher schools. Yes. If the test score (laughs) was just a little bit above so that taking that GRE that might be the, the answer to that to that to that yeah. issue, but I do think they're well within range of the programs they're targeting.
0: Yeah, fair points. Fair points. Definitely. So, um, well, thanks again, Alex, for picking these out. I guess we'll do it all again next week, and uh, yeah, I'll see you in one week's time.
1: Very good. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.